Welcome to episode 206 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week's episode is focused on the PACT Act. On Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022, the Senate voted 86 to 11 to pass the Honoring Our PACT Act. This act expands health care benefits for 3.5 million veterans who are exposed to toxic burn pits during their time of service. I wanted to highlight the changes and talk about what the PACT Act means for veterans, service members, and their families because as a veteran who served in Afghanistan, I had some questions about what this new act meant for me and for other veterans who served in Iraq and Afghanistan. I didn't know that the act extended farther back to help both Vietnam veterans and Desert Storm veterans. So if you served in a conflict and you were exposed to toxins, it's definitely worth listening to this episode and checking out the resources that Lindry Purcell and Sandy Crinzenbeck provided in the show notes to tell you more about what this act means for veterans, what this act does to help you, and how you can get help in filing your claim. So I really want to say thank you to Lindry and Sandy. They are a wealth of knowledge and gave me so much good information. I'm really excited to start this interview and to share everything that I learned. So let's get started. Welcome to the show, ladies. I'm so excited to have you here to talk about such an important topic, the PACT Act. Thanks for having us. Just so people know whose voice is who, obviously they know I'm Amanda, but can you each introduce yourself so that um, people know who's talking and then we'll dive into the questions. My first name's Sandy. Thank you for having me. I'm Lindry Purcell. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So I wanted to talk first about what led you to advocacy and what led you to getting involved in the PACT Act. So I'm a veteran. I was in the Air Force for five years. My husband was in the, almost five years, and my husband, I was a nurse in the Air Force, so I um, saw firsthand toxicant exposure effects, and um, my husband was in the Navy for 10 years, so I have a passion for advocacy for veterans in general. I currently work as a nurse practitioner in two clinics treating children with um, tox that have been exposed to toxicants and, and they have neurodevelopmental disorders. So I have a passion um, with regards to just toxicant exposure in general and what it does to somebody physiologically. And so that's kind of where, what led me to where I was today is my own personal experience, both professionally and personally. And also, I mean, I have a lot of family members and friends of family that are older now that were exposed to Agent Orange. Um, I have friends, I mean, I was served during 9-11. I have friends that were deployed that were, their campsites were over burn pits. And so I just... I know so many people that are affected wide range as far as age. And um, I, I'm very passionate about helping to contribute towards science of identification of people that have been exposed, prevention, and also what to do about it. And so I think that there's, it's just very new in its infancy. I'm glad that it's being addressed, but, and I know that there's evidence-based tools to look at that, but that's what led me to want to be an advocate to say, okay, wait, we, let's, let's think about what we're going to do when, now that we know about this. And um, I've never been in the military, but thank you for your service so much, you guys. Um, I'm just a civilian. I was a special ed teacher for a long time in Oakland, California, 
And I started to really learn about how, you know, had to see how my students were being impacted by either lead in their homes or um, pollution in the air, which was leading to asthma. So many of my kids were having asthma attacks all the time and missing school. And so I kind of got into environmental health as a teacher. And then I have a, a son who was diagnosed with lead exposure as a little guy. And we've had issues ever since with that. And that sort of got me down this long rabbit hole of researching every possible way to protect my kids and my family from common toxic exposures. And I also work with a co-president of a group called Jonas Philanthropies that runs JNBH, Jonas Nursing and Veterans Healthcare. And so far in the last 15 years, we've provided scholarships for for over 1,400 nurse leaders in the country to get advanced degrees in nursing. And over 350 of those have been um, veteran nurse scholars. So most of those have served and um, all of them are working in terms of um, veterans health, with a focus on veterans health. I also run a, an advocacy group called FACTS, Families Advocating for Chemical and Toxic Safety, where we try to connect science-based information. It's not a moms don't always have and dads the most science-based information with parents to get involved in policy conversations. And I became interested in the PACT Act because it really combines these two areas that Jonas looks at, veterans, healthcare, and environmental health. We do um, do a lot of children's environmental health grant making. And I've been pushing Jonas to get more, more political, more involved in policy in general. And so I was really concerned when it looked like the PACT Act was not going to maybe be passed. And I said, Jonas has got to speak out and do something. And now that it's it's past. There's still so much work to be done. And that's where highlighting our nurse leaders to talk, our nurse veteran scholars to talk about that made a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think that's really important to talk about like the PACT Act passed, but that doesn't mean like it's over or that there's not challenges to come. And that's why I think it's so important to do this interview and to talk about it because I still have a lot of questions and I know that other people have questions and So I really think it's important that we talk about it, and I'm really glad for the work that you guys are doing. So my next question is, what exactly is the PACT Act? We've been talking about it a lot, but that doesn't, I mean, I know it's an acronym, so what exactly is it? Sure. So I'm going to quote the VA website, and then I'm going to, like, elaborate on that. So first of all, on the VA website, it says the PACT Act is a new law that expands VA health care and benefits for veterans exposed to burn pits and other toxicant substances. This law helps us provide generations of veterans and their survivors with the care and benefits they've earned and deserved. Basically, and then I'll tell you the changes and then I'll talk to you about more in Um, my own words, what this means. So it brings the following changes. It expands and extends eligibility for VA healthcare for veterans with toxicant exposures to include Vietnam, Gulf War, and post 9-11 eras. It adds more than 20 presumptive conditions for burn pits and other um, toxicant exposures. And I'll explain that presumptive in just a minute. Adds more presumptive exposure locations for Agent Orange and radiation. Requires VA to provide toxic exposure screening to every veteran enrolled in VA healthcare. I'm really uh, interested in this from a nursing science standpoint, because I know there's an evidence-based tool that's being used to evaluate these veterans, but it, since it's new in its infancy, I'm just like we talked about, okay, you, you pass a law and like, that's not it. <laughs> you know, what do you do with that? And then after they screen positive, like where um, are all the appropriate um, treatment 
modalities set up and um, help us improve staff education and treatment related to uh, toxic exposures, which I think is a really good take home thing to talk about in this um, in this podcast. So um, what happens when you're injured in the military is that um, uh, when you get out of the service, they evaluate, you submit a claim and the VA evaluates if you, um, that is indeed um, related to you being in the service, like a service connection related injury or disease that they determine, um, they term as a disability. And then from there, there's tiers of care that you can receive based on that percentage of disability you have, whether it be from zero to a hundred percent. Now, new people that are getting out now, it's very well known that you have your records, you give it to the VA, the VA, um, I think that once you get off active duty, I think it's like 90 days or something they have to to review your file and then make a decision and um, connect you with you know, the, the disability or the injury that you had in, into a um, percentage category of disability. And they do sometimes say no. So um, you need to have really good documentation. Now, where this act comes in is people from like um, Vietnam who like, don't have records and just are like, hey, I have cancer, and but and I was exposed to Agent Orange. And they say, well, you, we don't have any proof to show that. Now it's just presumptive. You can say, hey, I was in this area. I have this type of cancer. And so then you don't have to have all this, like where you're going through review of medical records, take take months for them to review. Sometimes when you go through an appeal, it can take years. Now there's new talk about burn pits. And I mean, that's new since Iraq, Afghanistan. So um, I think that that although it's in the records, like these people um, that are coming out from Iraq and Afghanistan or 9-11 era do have records. It's still, I mean, they're not going to have on that record that they have brain cancer or they're not going to have on that record that they have some of these presumptives that kidney cancer, some of these things, there's a list, there's 20 of them um, that uh, don't show up for many, many years. So I, I think it's good too, because you may not file like for 20 years or something because you don't have any problems. So, but you, you may have problems in 20 years. And then the thing about when you're on active duty or before is like you needed to have in your records, like you had kidney cancer when you got out, not 20, 30 years later, <laughs> like they wouldn't take that. So it's nice because there's this allows better access to care for many veterans. And um, it's still new in its infancy. So I'm curious of how that assessment piece will go, how that um, treatment piece will go. And then also looking at how, what do we do to prevent that? Because we're, we're always learning new things. So and you, you work at the VA now as well as the clinic with, so. My next question was kind of, I feel like you talked on it a little bit, but what is the main change, the presumptive care? The next question I have is more for like an Iraq, Afghanistan veteran. Like, how would you know that you've been exposed to a burn pit? Like, I mean, I know that I drove past one every time I went on base to Bagram, um, and, but I don't know, like, is that enough that I was at Bagram off and on? Or do you have to live closer? Is Like, what are the different rules that um, go by? I mean, I remember driving past it. Like, I know exactly where it was right yeah, by the gate. Yeah. 
Okay, so I'm going to speak to your first question because you said I already answered it. But um, again, I'm going to, I took what's off the VA website and then I'll elaborate on it. So it says, what does it mean to have pre- presumptive condition for toxic exposure? So um, to get a disability rating, your disability must be connected to military service. For many conditions, you need to prove that your service caused your condition, which is what we talked about with medical records. But for some t- conditions, we can automatically assume, like I have a patient right now in one of my practices who um, was uh, served in Camp Lejeune and she has cancer. And we talked about this before this even came out. And I said, you need to access, try to get access to care. And she said, well, they don't do presumptives for certain things. So this is looking at, okay, well, we didn't have the records and now we we can assume that this um, condition was caused by that. We consider a condition presumptive when it's, it's been established by law or regulation. So, I mean, it, it's important, like as a clinician, I can look at it and say, well, surely like this uh, sounds like this could cause this, but it doesn't work like that always. So this law is, is clear and it's saying, okay, if you were here, then this, we can assume that this could be the reason why. If you have a pre uh, presumptive condition, you don't need to prove that your service um, caused the condition and you only need to meet the service requirements for the presumptive. So when you asked, how do you know if you've been exposed to a burn pit? Well, on the website, the VA website, if you've been in any of the following locations, they've determined it to, to be that you were exposed to burn pits. We call that a presumptive. So on or after September 11, 2001, in any of the following locations, Afghanistan, Djibouti, Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, Ubepistan, Yemen, and airspace um, above any of these locations. And on or after August 2nd, 1990, in any of these locations, Bahrain, Iraq, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, UAE, and any of the airspaces above these locations. So they're basically extending um, and expanding the healthcare for anybody that just for the burn pits that so if you drove past it you were in it <laughs> you were and, and it travels it. I mean that's the thing about the smoke is it travels so even if you didn't sleep there possibly the, the wind was blowing in whatever direction you you were staying you know now I I do think it's a little bit um, this is where it it, it 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 sort of I wasn't very clear about this like now they were talking about when you get out of and I, I printed it out let's see if I can find it it was talking about when you get out how long you have have to apply. Like it sounds like when you're out of Iraq and Afghanistan or another 9-11 area, it sounds like instead of five years, you have 10 years to apply for VA healthcare. But also, I mean, if you're service connected, then you don't, you can just apply anytime. So I wasn't really clear why they said it like that. Because it, it says that in here, you have a certain amount of time to file more than you it was five years now it's 10. There'll also be it says for those combat veterans who do not fall within the certain window the bill creates a one-year open enrollment period you have the bill extends the period of time they have to enroll in VA healthcare from five to ten years post discharge. Well they also say if you meet the criteria listed here you can get free VA healthcare for any condition for up to 10 years. But I'm not really sure how that affects, like, if you're ser- if they service connect you or if they just say, okay, here you here's your presumptive. Your presumptive is 10 years. If it's presumptive is 10 years, is that different than the service connection? No, I, I didn't file for VA health care when I got out of the military because 
people told me, you don't need to, you're fine. And then when I was about six years after I had separated, I found out that I should have did a claim, but it had been more than five years. And so I kind of was stuck between like a rock and a hard place. And so the fact that they've changed it from five to 10 years is really helpful because I feel like sometimes you, like I had a baby and my life was focused on the fact that I had like a brand new kid and then I had another son. And then after they were a little bit older and I started to get active in the veteran community, that's when I learned about the VA healthcare system and that sort of thing. And so the fact that they've changed it and given people more time, I think is really important because that would have solved my problem. If I had 10 years, when I found out at six years, then I would have been fine. And Mm -hmm. even now, I have like until October of 2023, now that it's changed to 10 years because so I need to get on it and do my claim. But that is a huge game changer for people who are getting out. I don't think as much now, but people... Like when I got out, the thing was like, you don't need to file a claim, at least the base I was at, you're fine. But I actually had ear surgery and other things that people should have advised me to at least file a claim and see what was out there. Instead, I didn't do it at all. And so that that's something that I'm really excited about. I'm like, okay, I got to get on it now because now I have the 10 years and I'm under that 10 year window. Yeah, a lot of people, I feel like this, like people getting out now are really familiar with um, the benefits, but I got out in 2002. And I mean, I think they mentioned it like for like one sentence (laughs) when I was getting, doing my out processing at one of those, like, you know, all day, this is what to think about when you're getting out of the military uh, meetings or classes or something. And and so, yes, I do agree with you. It's like, it's you don't know. So a lot of this, I think, is really good because it's centered around veterans that just didn't know. Like, I feel like the, it's more known now what the VA has to offer veterans. And I just feel like when I don't even know from what year back, <laughs> people didn't know. So it's nice that people have access to care now. And there's a huge, with this bill, there's a huge infusion of money to amp up the VA system to hire new people to open new clinics. So hopefully the quality of care will be improved. And um, one thing that the PACDAC also does that I wanted to mention, there are 11 respiratory related conditions, I could read them or not, and several cancers, but survivors of veterans who died due to any of those conditions are also eligible for benefits. That seems important to mention. I did have a question from the Foundation for Women Warriors, and she asked what cancers the PACT Act did not cover. So I feel like if you listed the ones that it did, it answers her question. And so I think that would be great if you listed them. And we can link to it in the show notes. Sure. So I have reproductive cancers, melanoma, pancreatic cancer, kidney cancer, and brain cancers such as glioblastomas. Which I also was diagnosed with melanoma. And so one of my questions was, what (laughs) is that covered? And so this is like really an interview for me. (laughs) I'm like, I needed to know the answer to all these questions. And so I, I really hope that people who are listening can use the information that you're sharing and get as excited as I am that I have a way path, a path forward and on the VA website, so it talks about, because um, I was kind of telling you I'm going to read off what they say and then I'll comment on it, on it. But I mean, it talks about the eligibility post 9-11 combat, what that means, like as far as when you're discharged, how long you have to be out, Vietnam eligibility, 
um, Agent Orange. So there's, of course, burn pits, Agent Orange. There's different. You said, well, how do I know? I was driving by that burn pit every day or something. Same with Agent. So with Agent Orange, it'll tell you like from what year to what year and what location. And if you were there, then that's a presumptive. Um, also radiation. It'll tell you what new radiation re- pre- presumptive locations will the VA add. So it, it tells you different uh, locations of, of um, and the year and the month and the day of where you were. When I read it, it looked like a, anything related to nuclear cleanups or places where there are nuclear mistakes. There was a plane that blew up that had nuclear weapons. So anything sort of nuclear related falls under that category. So if someone is listening and they, it sounds like the VA website has like a ton of information, but it almost has like too much information. Like if you're not an expert, how do you navigate this? So there are two great articles that I want to send to you to put out from the American Legion. One just summarizes PACT Act benefits. And then last year, there were two big bills, the Protecting Women Moms Who Serve Act and the Deborah Sampson Act, which was part of another act. And those have, there's just great, great summary of, of that, those acts as well, because there are a lot of new benefits for women in general and that have related to maternity and just other women's issues. So I can give you those two like summary articles that could help. That would be awesome. Are there any like organizations or that you know of that are helping people one-on-one or should people reach out directly to the VA or what what would you suggest? Well, I know that there's certain like organizations that can help represent uh, veterans like DAV or PVA um, and trying to think of American Legion. And they're usually in veteran hospitals most of the time. Um, although I know the DAV, I live in the Bay Area and there's a DAV in just in Oakland and they're not near the hospital, but they are like a representative. They're in between the veteran and the VA decision makers and they help you file your claim. So they'll go through your medical record and they'll, I mean, some of us used to be not where like you could assume like, yes, X plus Y equals Z, like that Yes, presumptive. And then there's this problem, but it wasn't always like that. It wasn't that that equal equal, you know, the equal equation. So now um, what they used to do was, you know, here's your medical records and and this supports this claim. Okay, let's submit. But now it's nice because they can say, oh, okay, you were here at this time. Okay, let's submit. And then they tell you how to submit, which is nice. And they help you with the paperwork on how to submit and they can submit it online. And they so there's so many things they can do right for you rather than do you doing by yourself. Because if you do by yourself, it could take a really long time to get navigated through the system. There is some forms on the website that tell you in it when it says how to file a disability claim. It's pretty simple. It's just one page. You can fill it out. You can always send. Um, I would uh, postmark it or send it UPS, FedEx or something so you can know when it was sent because you know you can't guarantee that they're going to get it. You can always send in the uh, the all your medical records with it or your DD-214 to show that you were in that area at that time, um, you're going to have to send medical records if you have a presumptive anyways. When I say medical records, it would be military if you're trying to service connect, or if it's a presumptive, you would be sending in your DD-214 and then your your regular medical records. So it's a simple form, but my um, advice is to have an advocate help you in one of those um, three DAV, uh, American Legion, PBA. There might be others, but those are the ones that I know well. Yeah, it sounds really good. Don't do it alone and get help. And that there's resources out there, the VFW, American Legion, 
DAV, P, VA, all those resources that can help you so that you don't have to do it alone. Because, yeah, I think one of the things that is the hardest for, like, thinking about doing a claim is like, I don't know where to start. And so to have all these resources and to know that you can get that help is really helpful. So I know there was a link when they first passed the PACT Act that said, go here and register. Is that the best way or is it better to file a claim or do you not know what I'm talking about? I'm not familiar with that. I would I would do is I would contact the advocate, like a DAV or American Legion or EVA advocate and say, where, do, where should I go from here? Always don't do it by yourself. Just because they can, they have the ability to just, it goes straight to the VA. They, they scan it. They, you write in your pa- your paperwork, you give them the records, they will scan it in front of you and it'll go right through. Not, it's not like if you were to like um, print out the paper, fill it out, get all your medical records, mail it in. It sits in a mail room for a while. And how do you know that they're doing the front, they're scanning the front and the back or scanning all the papers? So um, I, I'm not answering your question, but I, I would say always just go to an advocate that that's all they do. I think that's really good advice. And then I kind of want to shift. We talked a lot about the PACT Act, but since this is a podcast for women, um, what are some toxic related issues that women in the military and female veterans might be dealing with or have questions about? Well, I think it depends on the job, what job you're in. Like, I mean, I was a nurse in the military and I was exposed to chemo. I mean, that's people are exposed to that in other civilian professions. But I mean, that's just one profession. I mean, pilots exposed to jet fuel and radiation, like on the ship, they're exposed to like really toxic chemicals on a ship. I mean, uh, people that are on the ground, they're pesticides and, you know, back in the day, Agent Origins. So every every profession is different in, in, in terms of exposure. I wanted to add, can I, can I just add the chemical class PFAS? which is in firefighting foam, nonstick cookware. It's just like a Scotchgard kind of um, stain-resistant stuff. That's often found in the water and military bases because of the all of the work, the firefighting foam stuff. That That's a common one, and, and that affects fertility. It's an endocrine disruptor, so that's a big one. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of issues in fertility in clinic. Um, just with endocrine disruptors. Um, pesticides is a big thing. Chemicals is a big thing. Plastic is a really big problem. <laughs> just plastic, I mean, that sits out. I don't know what the protocol is now as far as um, um, in Iraq and Afghanistan or other places where people are deployed and it's very hot. I mean, plastic bottles sit on the ground in 130 degrees and then plastic leaches into water. Not good. <laughs> The breathing conditions aren't specific to to women, but a lot, I mean, the list of of breathing conditions that are now considered presumptive just grew significantly. Asthma, chronic bronchitis, COPD, there's um, pulmonary fibrosis, just a lot of um, lung lung issues that, that could impact women. And I think that um, just in general, like what we're talking about is, is, and I don't, I don't think it's really, they've really honed. Maybe they have, but I mean, I haven't been in the military in many years. It's just honing in on job-related, potential job-related insults. And so we've mentioned some of them. And I think that in terms of prevention, you really got to identify what those things are before you can prevent them and then treat them. 
So I think that's really something, and I like that the Jonas Foundation does that because they're looking at identification, um, prevention, treatment, um, or their scholars are, their doctoral prepared scholars are. It sounds like there's the um, the job related and then there's the place related. I was looking up, there are 100 military installations that are on our super fun list. Um, so it's there's like place-based concerns and job related concerns, right? If it's a base that you're living on and then you find out the water's contaminated. So it's it's sort of knowing where and and what you've been exposed to, right? That's a really good point. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of different factors and you need to look at like where you were stationed, what your job was and what you were doing. And if you went overseas, where you were overseas, what time you were overseas. So there's a lot of different factors, but you have all those resources of like knowing the dates and the times and where you were and what you were doing. And so I think you guys said at the beginning, like, this is just the beginning, or maybe it was something that I read, but like, it does sound like there's a lot more research that needs to be done and a lot more advocacy that needs to be done to help veterans, especially the fact that it's not just veterans, because if you're talking about on base, then that also affects military spouses and children who lived on base. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing too, is, is offspring and, you know, uh, spouses, extended family members, that's something to also be thought about. Because like you said, you know, if they're in the same place, they can be affected as well. So I like to see more research done with that as well. And uh, this question is more like, what can you do today? But what are ways that you can reduce toxic exposure in your daily life and, and protect your children? So facts, my, my little shop, if you look up factstoaction.org, um, you can find pretty much like top 10 lists of, of ways to avoid exposures. I wanted the top 100 because I was just really freaked out when I found out about the lead. And so um, it could be daunting and scary to look at that list. And for a minute, you you think everything is like tainted. But the good news is you can just go through one at a time and really think about your inputs. Like, what do you eat? Try to eat more organic when you can. Um you know, buy in bulk like beans. It doesn't have to be a lot more expensive to get it organic for some things if you buy in bulk. There's the Environmental Working Group has really great lists like the top 10 fruits to make sure you eat organically, uh, top veggies. Um, some it doesn't matter as much. EWG has a, a cosmetics database and where you can put anything you put on your body, creams, lotions, whatever. Um, it's called the... Um, I'll put it, I'll send it to you, but okay. it's so great. You just put in your product and it tells you like one to four, how clean it is in terms of toxics. That's a great one. It also looks at cleaning products in your home too. There's so much stuff now you can just make with vinegar and, and simple stuff. So you're not, you know, doing more damage potentially to your airways um, or to little kids airways, which are more vulnerable. Um, so they're not using any synthetic pesticides if you can. Again, there's stuff you can make on your own that's um, pretty effective. So thinking about furniture that you bring in, trying to find stuff that's a little cleaner, maybe that doesn't off-gas or use stuff is great. Sometimes it's cheaper to just purchase a used thing that's already off-gas. So there's a whole list on facts to action, um, but Environmental Working Group is a great resource too for, for different toolkits. What would you say, Sandy? Thank you. All the things that you would say, but a couple things I would say that I'm seeing in clinic now is it, you can't turn off Wi-Fi, but 
Wi-Fi is huge. Um, so I'm always telling people, okay, well, do what you can control and you can turn off your Wi-Fi at night. Plastic, really try not to eat anything out of or store any food or drink in plastic. Microwaves, I know they're very convenient, but um, they're not good as well. And then just other things that are just, which are hard for us to do and today is like, you know, get enough sleep, get enough exercise, eat healthy. But uh, one thing that I do feel I just question, because I'm seeing in clinic is um, in maybe 10 years or something that there's going to be more that comes out about internet or, you know, something that is like, or the microwave or something that's like we use all the time that we don't really think that much about. So, I mean, some basic stuff like, you know, like I said, turn off the Wi-Fi at night, don't use the microwave as much or if at all um, are good things along with what you said. I think those are really good websites. One thing is you can unplug your microwave when you're not using it because often they leak. If they're older ones, the door doesn't have a good seal. And so you're getting irradiated constantly in your kitchen. That's one area that, that Jonas has been funding is research on electromagnetic radiation. And um, there's a lot there. It's going to take a while to come out. But there was a study that Environmental Working Group published this past summer that children should have two to 400 times less exposure than they are. So just you can hardwire your stuff. I'm, I'm using a hardwired computer right now. It, it's a little tricky to figure it out, but it's possible. But same thing, like move your router away from your bedrooms, unplug it at night. So thinking about that stuff as well. EWG, water is really important, right? The water you drink in your home. So many municipal water sources and well water sources are tainted right now. Environmental Working Group has a really nice database where you can just put in your zip code and they'll tell you the your water quality for that zip code. And then based on that, they can give you recommendations starting with the cheapest water filters that will help up to the more expensive ones. There's some new water filters now, and I can put in a link that filter out most of the toxins that that are over-the-counter water filters. Brita doesn't really cut it now, but there's some newer ones that are affordable that are effective. Uh, one other thing um, really quickly is the you said, um, what are other ways for female service women to reduce toxicant exposure and also um, in their families or protect their children as well is just something like take off your clothes um, outside <laughs> before you go in the house, bag it if you have to, wash it, like make sure you take a shower before you, you know, come and like uh, interact with a family. I have a couple patients that have really high, actually every single pa um, person in the family has thyroid cancer. And they're, um, this wasn't, they weren't in the military, but they were working out in the field. And, but they were coming in, like exposed to a lot of pesticides and they were coming into the house, keeping their clothes on, just cooking, being with kids, hugging them. And so that's something to think about is um, the uniform that they wear when they come home take it off, go take a shower, depending on what they're exposed to. And in general, we say shoes off at the door always. Wherever you go, just shoes off at the door is good practice. I love those last little tips because that's a really good reminder, especially like to take off your uniform if you've been around like toxic things during your workday and like how just taking off your clothes, taking a quick shower and then like starting fresh is something that can really help protect yourself and your children by uh, eliminating your exposure and helping to limit their exposure as well. I think that's really great advice. One thing that, that Sandy said, sorry, I just wanted to add to it, was blue light and sleep. 
Now there's a lot coming out about like in order to help your body detox from a lot of these chemical exposures, you need really good sleep. And so if you're looking at screens right before bed, it's going to stimulate your brain and you're not going to sleep as deeply. So being careful about putting on it, there's free blue light filters you can get on your computers. F-Lux is F.Lux is one you can download or blue light glasses so that you can have restorative sleep. But hydrating sleep, I've had to do a lot of personal detox because of stuff I was exposed to just out in the world as a civilian. And it's it's like drinking clean water, exercising so you sweat. That's what they have firefighters do. Lots of saunas, these far infrared saunas. And I've heard just anything that makes you sweat, hydrating like crazy and um, restorative sleep, like Sandy said, and trying to lower your stress and eating well, all that stuff. Your body wants to detox itself. So the good news is, I just want to leave on like a scary note. The good news is that your body wants to, to expel all this stuff and there are ways to do it. Functional medicine doctors are, are experts in how to um, detox chemicals if, if folks want to get their levels checked. You can have your PFOS level checked, your heavy metals checked. All of that can be checked and there, there are ways to, to get rid of a lot of this junk in your body. Yeah, I love that there are things that you can do and you're not just like stranded, but that eating right, drinking clean water, getting good sleep, and working out. And those things are so important for your body. And that's important not only for your physical health, but also your mental health as well. So I think that's a really good way to end it. And I'm really just so thankful that you guys took time to talk about this important issue. And it sounds like you're going to send me a bunch of links that I'm going to put in the show notes so that people can find more information. But thank you so much for your time. I'll have all the links in the show notes and ways so that people can contact you. And I just really appreciate you guys talking about this today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for everything. Thanks so much for listening to this week's interview. I'm really thankful that you took the time to listen to this episode. And I wanted to tell you about two resources that may help you in your journey of military service. And so the first is my new book, A Girl's Guide to Military Service, which is available at the link in the show notes on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles. You can go check it out. It's A Girl's Guide to Military Service. It's meant to help you answer all your questions about military life and give you a firm foundation for the start of your career. And if you're looking for mentorship or want to be a mentor, please check out the Women of the Military Mentorship Program, which is also linked to in the show notes. You can sign up to be a mentee or a mentor. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.